Father Harrison, I got to do something uh, fun the other day. But you always get to do fun things. That is not true. I always get to do good things, not necessarily fun things. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I got to uh, play Dungeons and Dragons with my friends, which we haven't done that in a while. Uh, and I got to be uh, the dungeon master again, so I'm running oh, nice. this session. Nice. And it's it's fascinating what you can uh, learn about your friends playing Dungeons and Dragons with them. Sometimes they can really impress you with their cleverness, and then sometimes you wonder why you were ever friends with them in the first place. So, like, f- for example, who who are you outing here? T- uh, I am uh, just fr- they they know who they are. That's fine. There's three of them. They know who they are. And uh, so, for example, their current quest is to go to this town and steal this magic weapon. All right. Okay. And so they're on the way to the town, and I decide to put in there, since I'm you know, making the story and everything, yep. a, a merchant on his way to the town. And mm-hmm. I think maybe they can trade with him. Maybe they can ask him stuff about the town. They don't know much about it. Mm-hmm. Instead, without even saying hello, they're somehow able to convince this merchant that he has a long lost son who is in desperate need of his help. And he runs away, and they just take his entire merchant cart. Uh huh. This is something strangely like a community episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the community does. Yes. Yeah. So you get kind of feel of it. Or, for example, like, okay, they're in the town. They find out that there's someone in prison right now who may be able to help them uh, get this magic item. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they immediately start talking about how to break him out. Are they going to kill everyone in the town? What are they going to? And like. In my head, as they plan all this stuff, I'm thinking, you guys don't know where the prison is. You don't know how many guards there are. And you know you can just visit people in prison. Like, that's the thing you can do. How about you just see if you can visit people before you contemplate burning the whole town down? Are they just doing this just to make you angry to see how how well planned out of things you are as a DM? Oh, no, 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 no. They're doing this because they think it's a good idea. (laughs) Oh, okay. That's what's distressing. They're not doing this, like, ironically or anything like that. No, no, not at all. That's what's so distressing about it. Hmm. It's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, there are some times they come up with really clever things I didn't expect them to do, and I have to roll. That's all fine. Yeah. But I'm just screaming in my head. There's a really easy, simple solution to this that and I'm you can't give you that because you're, you're no. Dungeon Master. You are exactly. there just to help. Exactly. It ruins ensure, the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Set the scene, right? Uh, so, <laughs> it's great fun. It's a great way to... Uh, did, well, did they, were yeah. they victorious in the end? Um, They made some moves towards victory. Oh, so it's still in, uh, it's still in motion. Yes, yes. Okay. On the next episode of Dungeons and Dragons with Father Anthony, we'll see how they do. But uh, yeah, uh, but it's just a great way to hang out with uh, your friends and uh, express your creativity. And uh, such how long does it enjoy. take you to set up a uh, um, a quest? Is that the right? Is that the right thing? Quest? Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. It works well enough, you know. So there's kind of this overarching story that I've created, and there's kind of little parts in between, um, depending on where they go and what they do. Uh, so. It took me a better part of a day to kind of get stuff ready, but they didn't go through all the content I had prepared, so now I've got stuff ready for the next session because you never know how long they're going to take with different stuff and right. what happens and how they build the story themselves. And this is live is and in person, D&D? Live and in person, yeah. Do you, we're super do, nerds about it. Do they dress up? Are they that you nerdy? You know what? They're not opposed to dressing up, um, but we just haven't put in that much effort yet. I mean, we'll, we'll do like goofy voices and stuff. We'll definitely mm-hmm. role play. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but we have yet to actually dress up as our characters. And if you're like a cleric, well, then you're set. You just wear your yes, cloth, exactly. you just wear your cassock, and you're good. Yes, I'll just wear my cassock. <laughs> but uh, I have I have yet to actually play as a cleric. Gotcha. Because I just figure that's just too... On the nose? Cliche. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a little yeah. much. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Cool. So, uh, welcome to this live action uh, record <laughs> recording session of Clearly Speaking. No, it's a live action recording of a podcast or yes. LARPing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to this LARP of Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Anthony. And I'm Father Harrison. Uh, not, you know, just I'm in the, I, we're recording uh, two episodes right now because I'm leaving uh, tomorrow for Scotland for 10 days with uh, a bunch of pilgrims. It's, I realize it's actually the first pilgrimage I've kind of actually led as, a, or I've helped out with as a priest. I've never been a chaplain on a pilgrimage before. Oh, that's cool. And uh, with Haley and Daniel Stewart, uh, um, people know from Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff, and uh, her blog and her podcast. And we're doing, I think, seven distilleries and two breweries visits. I'm super jealous. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. My stomach has been weird lately, so I don't know how much alcohol I'm going to be able to drink, which is kind of lame, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll see We'll see how, it, how it's feeling by then. So, yeah, so I'm kind of just, of course, of course, the day before you leave, like 20 things hit the fan at the parish at once nice. and i do not have to i'm trying to like i'm like oh crap i have to record podcasts and i gotta do this and i gotta do that i have this meeting and that meeting and hospital calls and all this stuff and you're just uh it's it, of course it all hits the day before you leave um it's, it's just like the law it's like murphy's law you know so mm-hmm. um but then you know i had my folks over for a few days so that was nice to help me do some more organizing around the, the house and everything which is always needed it's getting there i installed uh, two new bookshelves because I have all these extra books that haven't been shelved yet. Mm -hmm. And I discovered, well, I mean, I don't absolutely have to, but if I want to keep all the books that I have here, here, I need to get actually another bookshelf because I didn't have enough space on these two. And these are just right now, this is just, I'm throwing them on all these shelves and I'll organize them later. I just don't want them sitting on the floor anymore. Mm -hmm. So uh, um, I'm going to make certain priests on Twitter very angry about that but i'm just like you know what i don't care i i have i i lend out books generously i give them away generously and i have to provide my own theological library for my thesis because there's just nothing good on the island for that stuff so i have no problem with it i feel no That's guilt funny. about it whatsoever it's funny you say that because i have been at my parish for about a year now uh, and still i have to the left of my desk a mover's box full of books that I don't have room for on my two bookshelves. And it's been mm-hmm. there for an entire year. Just, just You only me. have two bookshelves? It's true. I know. Sad. Novus, bo- bo- uh, what is it? A bogus ordo priest. Yes. No. <laughs> oh, what a shame. Yes. Anyway, sorry, I cut no. you off. No, 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 that's all. Oh, that was your point? That was your point? Yeah, that was the that point. You, I just thought it was very funny. Books that you haven't, you haven't taken out yet. Yeah, no, no, I, I, They're most of my comic I, books, actually. So oh, okay. Like, I don't yeah. use them for theological references as much. Gotcha. See, I, I have a lot of bookshelf space at the office, too. So I might actually just move, I might move some stuff to the office, um, office here. But I also had some friends over for uh, lunch on Sunday, uh, David and Carly Henderson. They don't listen to the podcast because they've got like two little ones and he's works full time and just you know not a lot of time for that stuff but uh good friends because they both finished their phds at the jp2 institute in dc oh, and fun. uh the funny thing was so we were talking about different things and we you know uh larry chap we've had on the podcast a few times and stuff like that and uh, uh we were talking about uh, i was ashamed, saying how much i really liked his recent interview he has a youtube channel which everyone should check out it's really great um if you want to go deep dive theology stuff 
it's really awesome. He had uh, one of his former students, Rachel Coleman, on talking about Ferdinand Ulrich, who's a, a philosopher I've been kind of really getting into the last year. So they said, oh, we're really good friends with Rachel. And so then I texted Larry later. I said, hey, you know, I just met, you know, I just had these friends over. And he goes, was her name Carly? I said, yeah. She goes, well, Car I just got a text from Rachel saying that from Carly said that she just had uh, lunch with a priest in BC who really liked your interview with Larry. And it was just like the communion world is, is increasingly smaller and smaller and smaller. And we all just know, <laughs> we all know each other or know someone who knows each other. And yeah. It was just kind of funny and cool. So it was just nice. And, they actually, and she left me some homemade bread, which is delicious. And I'm going to actually essentially eat today because you know, stomach stuff too, it just might help. Uh, yeah, just keep it good. simple. Um, and it's homemade, which is even better. So mm, I, it's because it's kind of what I want to get into when I get home is get maybe start making my, into making my own bread. Fascinating. I want to do something. I need to do something with my hands. That's true. That's a good idea. I, otherwise, I stay, I stay too much up, up in, my, uh, in my brain. Yeah, but we need you to stay up in your brain, at least for another segment, as we answer some theological emergencies. Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial 1 at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet, and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological Emergency. We'll take your call at 412-912-7995. Hello, Father Harrison, Father Anthony. Uh, this is Joseph, and I've been thinking about this one for a while, but I'd really like to know what the theological implications are of not continuing a podcast called The Desert Fathers Podcast. Uh, if you have any thoughts on it, let me know. I love your podcast. It's been really helpful for me in a lot of ways. Thanks. That's that's a very good question. Um, Father Harrison, do you remember back when lockdowns first happened and churches were closed down mm -hmm. and we didn't know what to do with ourselves because, you know, there was no ministry basically and, to be and, had? And you put books on your bookshelves. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You did all those things. You had time to do all those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of us um, maybe got real excited about other possibilities and ministries, maybe starting a new podcast or doing something like that. Um, yep. So basically, I tried to start a podcast called The Desert Fathers Podcast, <laughs> and I released like two episodes of it and never did it again. It's still somewhere on iTunes or whatever. <laughs> it was just me like reading an excerpt from uh, The Desert Fathers and, and talking about it. And do what the great irony is. What? is that the theological implications is that you are living out a certain sin that the Desert Fathers are particularly known to speaking against. Is this Acedia? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. continuing and suffering through it or anything like that. You just kind of gave up and got distracted by other things. You didn't go after the one thing necessary. That is, that is very true. Um, instead, I just got real sad and took naps until we could start doing stuff in person again. I think that's what yeah. happened. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. So I'm just like, this is, uh, this is, it is, you know, but, and the other theological implication is, you know, that we're not living out the church's great tradition. So really you're impoverishing the church by not continuing it. I guess so. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is like, I've never actually studied the church fathers. I was just like kind of riffing on them and maybe, maybe I shouldn't have even begun this project. Of something I have no idea about. I mean, so you're no saying it's, about. A less, it's a lesson in humility is what you're saying. Mm, maybe it's that as well. So there's there's actually a lot of theological implications about 
starting and then stopping a Desert Fathers What does podcast. this tell us about the Trinity? Tells us that um, uh, it's m- <laughs> mo- it's further proof or reasons why uh, we are fallen and need a savior. And so the incarnate word coming down to earth, it, it uh-huh. makes it all the more fitting. Is that fair? Okay. Sure. That yeah, works. Sure. He's asking know. theological implications, so I'm just thinking riffing and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, fathers. Uh, this is Turlock in Edmonton, Alberta, calling you. And uh, I just have a question about lay people and blessings. Uh, I've always heard that the laity can't bestow blessing without holy water. Uh, but then I've also heard that you can if it's like in your own house with your kids. And you all have touched on it in the podcast in the past, but I'd love to hear a bit more of a deep dive on it because I'm really confused. I don't think we're supposed to be able to do it. But then, like, you know, extraordinary ministers love doing it, and we say bless you when you sneeze. I don't know. What am I What am I supposed to do? Uh, so, Turlock, if that is your real name, because let's be honest here, what kind of a name is Turlock? That sounds totally made up. It, it, it totally sounds made up, right? I think it is the most made up name I've ever heard. I've never heard this name before in my life, ever in a million years. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have this person's phone number, you know, in my phone or anything like that, right? So, I mean, no. I would not have this person. I, this is, It's a made up name, obviously. Yes. Um, so, blessings. Blessings. This is a good thing. I, good thing to talk about. I, um, now, it's interesting. I don't know what it was like for you in seminary. We never really touched much on, on like, the theology of blessings. Oh, there was you, there is like, no theology of blessings. It's Catholic it's magic. Kind of, we're we're ashamed yeah. that we even have those things. How dare you think that the priest has any power that a lady does not have? Why would you? There is no theology behind it. Um, right. In fact, you know we've got an entire book called the Book of Blessings, which is really just the book of pious platitudes that literally blesses nothing. Uh, and so we we don't do blessings in the Catholic Church anymore. I'm pretty sure that was a theology I learned. Gotcha. I just it was just kind of not talked at least i don't remember it or recall it being talked about at least right so um but so this is me coming out and it's not something i've really like deep dived into myself mm-hmm. i just know i do it as a priest um but my sense has always been that blessings occur by those who have authority over things so parents have the ability to bless children because you have authority over them right and authority is not like a dictator right authority means willing pe- the people's good mm-hmm. and and or so having the parents can bless their children yeah yeah have, have, so parents have this kind of power if you will not like they don't do it like with like what a priest would do make i see a lot of parents what they'll do to make it sign a cross on the child's forehead or something yeah, like that their thumb. yep yep like they're you know putting ashes on their forehead or something like that uh, um mm-hmm. but um they bestow a certain blessing because they're just saying like i want you to be set aside for god and I think that's a good thing. When it comes to liturgy, though, um, the ordained ha- are the ones who draw people towards the good, which is proper worship. Mm-hmm. And so I think it really is only appropriate for the ordained to give blessings in that regard. So, for example, extraordinary ministers, which is often a necessary thing at the Mass, so it doesn't become two hours long because of an hour-long communion line. Um, some people still come up for a blessing with the lay people. And so what I like, I instruct uh, my my uh, uh, EMHCs to do is is just to say, may God bless you, mm-hmm. right? And that's it. So you're just wishing them 
God's blessings, but you're not actually blessing them. I have seen lay people do like what the priest does, and I'm like, yeah, stop that. Yeah. No, no, uh, you, you can't do that. Um, but so I think, th- so it's according to one's domain, really, right? With regards to liturgy, um, it's the priest often and the blessing of, of things. And then for the laity, it's within the domain of the home, the domestic church, right? So I would say like the priests, deacons, bishops, it's according to like the parish, which is a territory. And then for the fam, for the parents, it's according to the home. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's good subsidiarity about blessings. Mm-hmm. But there's something with um, priestly authority, though, as well, because I could go to Canada and start blessing people, right? Mm-hmm. So there's something mm-hmm. with that. Mm. Uh, Absolutely. I'm just saying, like, but just thinking more locally, I guess. That's yeah, what I'm just trying sure, to say. Yeah, sure. yeah. No, that makes sense. And yeah, I think the authority uh, argument is the one that I was going to mention. So that mm-hmm. makes sense. And um, stuff like house blessings, you know, I think a lot of times what happens is um, you move into a house, you ask the priest to bless it. Um, but after the priest blesses it, you know, I think every year during Epiphany, like, you can just get your family together. You've got the blessed chalk, you can do it yourself. It's not like it's going to be less effective or anything. So, yeah, there's a, there's a place for that. And there's actually kind of there's something beautiful about uh, parents uh, blessing their kids mm-hmm. uh, in the home, which yeah. I really I, I love seeing that tradition. So, yeah. And it has and it has Old Testament correlations, right? It does. So yeah. it's not blessing is not reserved just to the priests. But, uh, um, yeah. And I, here's a little thing though with blessing of homes. Like I've had a couple of house blessing calls where I get there and like, there's nothing in the house. And I find out that they want me to bless the home, not because they're going to live there, but because they're going to be renting it out. It's a second property or something like that. And I'm like, once I almost walked out, honestly, or I said, I can't do that. <laughs> I didn't because I was just like, I didn't because huh. I was just like, do what? It's not going to hurt anything per se. But I don't want them to, because for those who don't know, like the house blessing is actually according to those who live in the home, mm-hmm. right? Like if you move out of the home, the blessing is gone. If you listen to the prayers of the house blessing, it, they're gone. Like it it kind of goes with those who live there. And when you move into a new dwelling, we just kind of bless it again. And yeah, we sprinkle holy water around the house and everything. But it's more about the real, the real domicility is not the building, but the people, mm. right? And so, um, when you do, so when people ask for a house blessing because they want to use it as a rental property or something, I'm like, uh, so I've, uh, uh, I find, I'm trying to find ways to ask those questions now uh, without offending. <laughs> yeah, I've never had that happen. That's, that's fascinating. Uh, but if there are any uh, priests or seminarian listeners out there who are more into the esoteric knowledge of blessings and you know of a good book, I would love a recommendation just because yeah. a lot of this is kind of extrapolating. Yeah, it's funny. It's just one of those things you do as a priest. You never really think about it. Yep. You just kind of do it. Exactly. Although one thing I do when I, do, I when I go to people's homes for dinner or something like that, I ask the parents to lead the prayer. Yes. I will bless the food. Yeah. But you lead the prayer. This is mm-hmm. your domain. And so please take charge. Yeah, I do the same or thing. Or even if like, actually actually when the Hendersons were over on, on, on Sunday, David led the prayer mm-hmm. and I blessed the food because yeah. yeah, he's got his family with him. Like, yeah, you, you guys take charge over your family and I'll just do my thing over here and we'll work together look at that complementarity among the vocations is isn't it beautiful it is isn't it a wonderful thing well you know that's actually not a terrible segue into what we're gonna talk about in presbyteral exhortations and now it is time for presbyteral 
exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Oh. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh. It's oh. the best part. Yes. Yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. Quite. Yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. So, Harrison, you mentioned uh, the Communio Club, if you will. And mm-hmm. tell the people what I have in my hand right now. Oh, yeah, I hate you. You okay. have uh, yes. the new edition, the, the latest copy of Communio. Yes, my, mine has not. Mine has not arrived yet. It just showed up like two days ago, I think. Yeah, me. which means mine's going to show up like next month. Yeah, because um, the Canadian mail, you know, the, the, those Montes really riding the mooses, they, they don't go as fast. In the ten the, feet of snow, yeah. being attacked by polar bears. Yeah. So we have yeah. we have bald eagles that transport our mail much right. faster than the moose. Yeah, but have, do you have bald eagles in Pittsburgh? Um, have I seen a bald eagle in Pittsburgh? I've seen hawks. I don't know if I've seen one in Pittsburgh. We have them all over Vancouver Island, so maybe we're more American than you are. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like well, that very just much. Because, well, I don't care if you don't like it. Yeah. It's the truth. Mm gross okay so uh i'm gonna be pulling a little bit from an article yep. uh written by john nepal father john nepal nepal okay. nepal john nepal oh john nepal yeah. from our enemy that's from he's from cat he, he's on catholic stuff you should know is he he's like one of the founders yeah huh i guess he's he, yeah how why are you reading the enemy's literature, Father Anthony. That's fascinating. Wow. This is kind of like a weird crossover episode then. Well, I mean, I'm only using a little bit of it. Not his entire argument. But okay, so. I just, I just, I just, we love them. Well, I love them. They're great guys. I just like to. I'm ambivalent please. toward them. That's fair. You know, take them or leave them. Yep. Uh, anyway, anyway. Okay, so uh, let's get some background to what I'm going to talk right. about. I, as well as you, Father Harrison, we meet with a lot of people. We do some spiritual direction. Uh, we meet mm-hmm. with people for you know pastoral counseling here and there. Uh, we also hear people in the confessional. And one thing that I hear a lot, and I think you might hear as well, is that there is this people experiencing this pain in as much as they don't think they are where they should be. Mm-hmm. There is, in their minds, a magical should where... If they get to this level, if they get to this place, then they will be holy. But they're never quite there. And it's a source Mm -hmm. of frustration. And so much so, I think that they will even look at their lives in the past and think that, actually, I was holier then. Mm -hmm. Actually, I was praying better then, but I've lost that. So there there is always this place that they should be that they're not. Mm -hmm. And it creates a lot of frustration, right? Mm -hmm. Um, yep. And I've experienced this as well. You know, like there is a should of how I should be a priest. It always feels right. like I'm falling short of that thing. Right. right. I see this even like when people talk about parishes. Um, I just got into a, a silly spat uh, with a friend about uh, bulletins and whether mm-hmm. or not they are useful or not or good or not. But yes. just let me think of like there's all these things that we, we, we try to – if a parish just did this, that, and the other thing, then it would be a good parish. But we never quite get there. Yeah. There is this magical parish in the sky that if you read enough books or implement enough programs, then your parish will be in the static place of good holiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking more and more, 
that that's not a real thing. Right. That holiness is not this like state of, I don't want to say state of being. It's not this static location. Uh, It is more of a becoming than it is a being. No. No more of a becoming than, yeah. Uh, uh, Say what I'm trying to say, Father Harrison. (laughs) I would actually say it's both and. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good good Catholic theology should always say, let's hold these two things in tension. Because there is something, if there's no should, then there's no, and the should is always rooted in Christ, mm-hmm. then there's no real need for any growth. We're just saved. And that's, we don't work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. Um, if there is, only, and then if there is um, only should, but no is, then there's, it's hopeless because we realize the impossibility of actually reaching the goal. Does that make sense? I think it does. Because, um, yeah, so so just because you're right, I do not, I, I struggle with the should thing too. Um, interestingly, you're, you're kind of tapping into two things for me. One is I preached on the universal call of holiness on the okay. weekend. Christ in you was the phrase I was kind of focusing around in Vatican mm-hmm. II and everything. But you secondly, this actually that. gets, yeah, I should. Yeah. Actually, I'm, Kind of glad it, yeah. It's 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 on the shelf for now because I, it's going to be way better when I done my thesis. Okay. Now, but uh, the second part is it actually deals with my um, thesis topic around the relationship between history and being, like beca- being and becoming. Right. This is what you're talking about. What, what? How do we understand holiness in this? Because in one sense, we are saints. We are set aside by baptism. Mm-hmm. We are already set apart. We have already been given everything because we have been given Christ, Christ in you. This is the gl- rich, gl- the riches of the glories of his mystery, St. Paul says in, in Colossians. It's Christ in you. Mm-hmm. That's the is. That, that, that's the being aspect. Um, but it's about, but then Paul ends Colossians by talking about Christ coming to full maturity in us. So that's the becoming. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it is this notion of process. What happens often when we say I should be this is we are idealizing the Christian life away from the person of Jesus mm-hmm. and we're not allowing it to be a call and a vocation whereby Christ gifts us how we are to be holy in our own particular state. Does that make sense? Am I helping you? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there, there's a few things with that. Yeah. A lot of times yeah. um, we have a caricature of holiness in our minds, mm-hmm. which is usually mm-hmm. not fitting to our state in life. So parents get worried that they don't pray enough, and but they have in their minds praying like a religious. It's like, well, you, you can't do that. Same thing with you mm-hmm. know, sometimes diocesan and priests. Uh, of course, all the religious priests, they, they know how holy they are, so they don't worry about this sort of thing um, like we do. Uh, <laughs> but sometimes like, there's a, a caricature of holiness that like mm-hmm. you say this many rosaries, you do this many things, and that mm-hmm. becomes something that's apart from being in Christ. It's mm-hmm. a doing these tasks. Um, mm-hmm. But another part of that that should that's dangerous is that I think there's a pride in that. Mm-hmm. Like people are disappointed that by their own strength they have not been able to achieve this kind of holiness. There's a Pelagianism right. in that. That right. if I just tried harder, I would be holier. And mm-hmm. there's an extreme like uh, when people are like surprised by their failure. Why are you surprised? Like right. who do you think you are? Right. 
Like, of course, we like we've tried to do things on our own and we failed. Why are you mm-hmm. surprised by that? Why are you even disappointed by that? There's mm-hmm. an element of pride in there that made you think that you could do it on your own through your effort, that sort of thing. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and and just like with that it is. And I think that's part of just the normal process of growing in holiness, weirdly enough. That's like, that's the, the great secret of it is that actually like struggling through our own idealization, which we all go through. It's part of maturity. It's learning to be more receptive to Christ and grace and that you can't actually achieve this on your own Christ. Cause here's the secret. Christ has actually already achieved it in you. Mm-hmm. And it's about allowing him to affect what he has achieved more deeply and to receive that. That's your activism if you will but again we're so activistic in the west uh we refuse receptivity mm-hmm. and uh we need to be we really need to be receptive to the fact that christ is in you like when you st- when you just meditate on that fact like, that just should explode your brain yeah. about grace and how christ works and, and how holiness works okay yeah so this has been going around in the back of my noggin for a long time and then uh, you know just uh the other day i picked up uh, communio and I uh, was looking through the articles, and this one was like, what's this one called? A Miracle of Grace, Hans Urs von Balthasar's Vision of Priestly Spirituality. And I was like, well, I'm a priest. I like spirituality. Let's read this. Mm-hmm. And I think it actually, it's pointing to um, this dynamic in an interesting way, in a particular way for priests. So it, um, Balthasar talks about these kind of two aspects the objective office of the priesthood mm-hmm. and the subjective nature of um, the councils. What's the word yes. I'm looking for? Yep, the evangelical councils. Oh, yeah. Poverty, chastity, obedience. Yep. Yeah, and the yep. subjective aspect of the um, evangelical councils. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of the dynamic he's, he's setting up. But in Christ... It's, it's, and it's a very Balthasarian theme because, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, in Christ they're the same thing. In Christ, they're the same thing. Okay, so. Okay, speaking of Jesus Christ, from, the, from this article, his state alone was characterized by the loving will of the Father, which he fulfilled in the perfect self-gift and pure filial obedience. Within that state of life, Jesus reveals his very existence is an eternal act of self-surrender. So the thing that makes the word the word is this utter obedience, offering, giving to the Father. That's mm-hmm. what who he is, okay? And, and receiving everything he is from the Father. Exactly. He's eternally begotten. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so once he becomes incarnate, the priestly mode springs from this. Mm-hmm. So let's see. Because this priestly sacrifice is but a mode of his gift of himself to the Father, and because this gift has its source in the very essence of his divine person, it is clear that the priestly character does not accrue to him accidentally and from without, but rather is consecrated, he is consecrated priest par excellence by his very nature. Mm -hmm. So this offering of self, this self-sacrifice that is um, his ministry, if you will, uh, while he is incarnate, it springs from who he is. So much so that you can't really, um, his, if you, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Inner life or his um, mm-hmm. his interior is almost transparent to his priesthood. Right. They become right. the same thing. Right. You can't imagine both, Christ without his priesthood. 
he's both priest and victim, right? Yes, Priest exactly. is office, victim is, is, priest is objective, victim is the subject if, in a way. Okay, so yeah. that's that's Jesus. So, yeah. but what about us, Father Harrison? Yeah, what about us? Well, it's not the same. <laughs> no, it's not. So, um, Balthazar talks about how before um, the apostles were called to the priesthood or given the gift of the priesthood, they were called to live the evangelical councils. So this is uh, the subjective part, uh, how the subject lives out the life of Christ, strives toward it. Um, and then uh, they are given the gift of the priesthood. Mm-hmm. So their office is extrinsic to who they are in a sense. Or extrinsic right. to, yeah, it's a gift from without. Right. Yeah, it's not something earned on their own, etc. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then we have this problem. Because while the office is objective, while it forms the priest's life, um, and while it is what it is, you perform priestly ministry, the response, which is the living out of the evangelical councils, uh, doesn't always happen. Or should happen, but happens imperfectly. Mm -hmm. So you are a priest, but the whole responding as Christ in a priestly way to that call doesn't mm-hmm. always click. Right. Okay. So so in that, there's this gap mm-hmm. between the office and living out the evangelical councils. Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of uh, conclusion which, living that gap, which like blew my brains all over okay. this piece of paper. Let's see, where are you mm-hmm. here? The priest has to mind the gap, so to speak living with a continual awareness that, unlike Christ, he does not live existence in union with his office. Mm -hmm. Elsewhere, Balthazar says that the priest must grow until the garment he wears fits him. He is not humbled by his inadequacies. He's not humbled by inadequacies. His entire life is inadequate. Mm -hmm. A perpetual and existential state of humility. The priest is a man inherently humiliated, not just by his failures, but by the very tension of office and person that he carries existentially. Mm -hmm. He is structurally created to be humble, as he sees in the Gospels, as Balthazar sees in the Gospels, to the end, Peter is ruthlessly humiliated. A priest's way of life will never be sufficient for living the priestly office. The discrepancy mm-hmm. is absolutely irreconcilable. <clears throat> Every priestly spirituality must acknowledge this central notion. Humility is the foundation of the hierarchical order within the church. All right. Are you ready to have your mind blown? Uh, yeah. More? More? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I Actually, I brought this up, this quote before from this book mm-hmm. on our podcast. This is uh, called to Communion, Understanding the Church Today. This uh, quote by Ratzinger is like the substance of the start of my thesis because it, it it's it's emphasizing and talking exactly about what you're talking about here <clears throat> so he quotes two things from john the son can do nothing of himself right and without me you can do nothing so the sons can do nothing on his own and then man can do nothing without the son okay mm-hmm. This quote-unquote nothing that the disciples share with Jesus expresses at once the power and the impotence of the apostolic office. On their own, by the force of their own understanding, knowledge, and will, they, can, they cannot do anything they were meant to do as apostles. 
How could they possibly say, I forgive you your sins? How could they conceivably say, this is my body, or impose their hands and pronounce the words, receive the Holy Spirit? Nothing that makes up the activity of the apostles is the product of their own capabilities. But it is precisely in having nothing to call their own that their communion with Jesus consists. Since Jesus is also entirely from the Father, has being only through him and in him, and would not exist at all if he were not a continual coming forth from and self-return to the Father. Having nothing of their own draws the apostles into communion of mission with Christ. This service in which we are made the entire property of another, this giving of what does not come from us is called sacrament in the language of the church. Sacrament means I give what I myself cannot give. I do something that is not my work. I am on a mission and have become the bearer of that which another has committed to my charge. So this kind of builds into this whole notion of humility as the very structure of the sacramental order of the church. I mean, there's a whole thing around the nothingness thing that I'm not going to go into right now yeah. because but that's really, really cool stuff. Um, but um, this let is me, what... Let me jump in. Yeah, so, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So like what, the, what I just read and what you just read is like this double aspect of humility uh, that's mm -hmm. built into a priest's life. One, the realization that everything he does by his office does not come from him. Two, that while he is called to live the evangelical councils in a way that um, is fitting with his office, he is literally never able to do that as Christ is. Mm -hmm. That even though he must continue to strive to do so, he never can. And this gets to kind of what I, I think a lot of us experience. Uh, I think there's an, analogy, there's an analogy of this with the um, baptismal call as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but stick with Christian for a second. Oh, good. I was just going to say, so, I mean, I have my own answer, but um, why is that the case with the priesthood then? Um, I agree. I think this actually expands out mm -hmm. uh, to the whole church. But but starting with the priesthood, why is it that there's this incongruity? Like what? Because I think there's actually a real reason and purpose to it. Mm -hmm. This incongruity between uh, office and subject object as office in person in in the priest oh why so do you like, think this is the case like why, why god this the made case? this the case <laughs> yeah why does jesus work this way why aren't his priests exactly like him you know what i didn't think of that <laughs> okay well then yeah. i will answer the question that please I just yeah it's a good question because <laughs> uh, i think i think this is the crux of it actually yeah. this is the whole point this is this is the basis for ex operate operato out of the work work worked it's christ who does the work the whole point of this is to say, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. This is why I think I said a few weeks ago why I struggle sometimes when people call the priest an altar Christus because I think these two things get, co the, the confusion between person and office gets coincided mm -hmm. too much. And, and I don't know, I, I mean, it's not an absolutely wrong statement, but I think the way it's used, it's actually missing the distinction here. This is the whole point of sacrament, in fact. This is the whole point of sacramentality in the church. It is Christ's work. He is the one in charge, not you, not me. Now, this in one sense is important for the priest because it says, get out of your own way. Like, just do what the books say. Yeah. It's not about you. Stop being performative. And whether it's a progressive performativeness or a tratty, just do what, be a humble servant of the church because it's Christ who does these works through us. But then I think the same thing extends to the whole of the Christian life. Yeah. So 
holiness then is not something that you achieve uh, in the sense that I, th- I think we are looking to uh, like we we have this belief that we can perfectly live out the evangelical counsels, whatever, however subjectively we're meant to do that. Right. And existentially, we cannot. That's so right. what is holiness then? It's striving to live out the evangelical counsels in utter humility. Mm-hmm. So if you are, so there's a particular way that's for the priesthood, but I think it, it also works for any of the baptized, right? Mm-hmm. You are a child of God. It's like what Augustine says, like, um, become who you are, receive who you are with regards to the Eucharist. Like there's mm-hmm. this become always... Become what you receive, yeah. Becoming, right? So... <clears throat> If you are striving and struggling, you are where you're supposed to be as long as you're moving with Christ. There isn't some magical place you will achieve on this world. And you're going to, that's going to be a very difficult journey if you don't live it in humility. Right. If you constantly expect more from yourself. And this is where it gets, it's hard for our brains, uh, particularly Western brains and particularly American brains to get this. Because always in our head is like, well, I should be doing something. Yep. Or I should be better. It's like, okay, you get, you gotta change the way you're thinking about this. Yeah. That accepting. And, and are you, and are you yeah. analyzing yourself in the light of Christ or in mm-hmm. your own head about against your own image of yourself? Exactly. If you continue that Christian journey um, without humility, you're going to be constantly beating yourself up like the Christian life, the spiritual life will be a constant torment. Yes. And that you can continue to, Oh, this is what I'm going to say. Okay. So the confusion about like, well, I should be trying to do something. Um, The motivation to continue to live out the evangelical counsels subjectively, depending on your state in life to grow closer to Christ the motivation for that is love. Love doesn't care as much as to where it's at. It cares about where it's going. Like there's this constant looking forward, looking out, looking towards. Uh, not standing back and focusing on where you are. So by walking, by going on this journey with Christ, doing it in love is its own motivation. Mm-hmm. So if we think about it purely as a transactional kind of relationship, um, treating the spiritual life like a video game, I just told you that you can never beat it. It's like the most difficult right. version of um, Dark Souls or whatever. Um, right. You, And that might lead someone to despair, but the reason why it's leading you to despair is because you have a Pelagian outlook mm-hmm. and you think too much of yourself. Yes. The loving, humble heart desires to keep going. Right. And, it's the Marian heart. It's yes. the Marian heart. And th- there's a whole other section in this article about Marian aspects of spirituality. It's really good. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I have to keep reading and praying with it. Um, if Jesus, as we just read from Ratzinger, is this constant coming from and returning to the Father, right? And by constant, I mean like eternally, sorry, eternally. Like that. that's his, yeah. that is his eternal mode of being as son is to come forth and return to, Okay. That's that's how he is, son. Uh, which, but but there's a priority towards this receptivity. Um, he's God from God, light from light, eternal God from eternal God, 
begot, eternally begotten, not made. This begottenness is an eternal property of the Son, okay? Which means that there is this receptivity that then, how does the activity come in? It's a returning of everything back in gift, which is why the evangelical councils are actually so important for Balthazar. It's actually a sharing in the Son's very mode of being. And actually, Balthazar will make the argument constantly that the evangelical councils is the foundational call for pretty much every Christian. Yeah. They'll take different forms. It's mm-hmm. not rock, all going to be Franciscans um, yeah. or, or, you know, um, mendicants or whatever. But it's to say that the councils really actually take place for every Christian. Anyways, um, but it means that we need to get rid of this. I'm going to get a little technical, then I'll bring it down, I promise. Over ontologized view of what it means to be human. So what do I mean? By this, I mean an over-idealized view. I have the idea in my head of what it means to be the ideal Christian. And regardless of my circumstances, state of life, anything like that, those things don't matter and need to be just ignored as I am trying to work towards becoming this ideal. But we are in these moments, then what we're doing is we are ignoring our own particularity and, and people, and, and listen, there's a lot of good reasons why people avoid this. And a lot of it has to do, because this, what happens if you lose ontology, if you lose being, what, who you are as a human being, etc. you actually, um, then everything's just in flux and there is no meaning. And that's a problem, right? There needs to be balanced between these two things. But to be a Christian, then, daily, how are you holy? Receive from the Father and give back. Mm-hmm. That is how the son is, and that's how you are to be. That is how Mary is, who is the archetype of the church. That's how the church is supposed to be. So this is when I think Father John means by this humility as the very foundational foundation of the sacramental structure of the church. It's to receive in the moment you're in, to sanctify this moment and place that you are, and to offer it up in a priestly way to the Father. Because, and this is the best part, it's not your work. It's Christ's in you. Your baptism, everything that we offer, like, so even like, yes, when you're a parent, yes, you are going to fail. Yes, you are going to do things wrongly as a parent in raising your children in the faith. I wish I could say it wasn't going to be, I wish to, but it's this, these are just facts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not your work in a way to make them holy. It's Christ's work in you. Now, I think people hesitate against this because they were, they, there's almost the opposite temptation against an overactivism, which is like a quietism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But this is not, no, it's, it's like what I call like an active receptivity, a desire. And this is like the, and so again, Balthazar's very Ignatian. It's this Ignatian sense of indifference of being totally open to God. I desire nothing but him and that I will receive how whatever thing in my life he wants me to receive so that I can not only achieve my holiness, but the holiness of others. So guess what? There is a way to live out the evangelical councils as a rich person, for example. And there are cases of this in the life of the church uh, and, and some of the saints, especially like, you know, noble figures and stuff like this. Or like a St. Thomas More, I think, is actually a great example of this. But he held nothing to himself and, gave, and was willing to let go of things when the time called for it, if he needed to, to stand firm for God. Yep. And so it means like this constant receiving and accept, and that's the thing, accepting what Christ wants to give you, mm-hmm. which means you have to knock down this idealized version of yourself and what it means to be a Christian. This is why I hate 
the definition of a saint as the best version of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> because it encourages this idealized form of Christianity mm-hmm. and holiness. No. It means it means allowing your whole life and being to receive from Christ. Like like when I was praying yesterday and today, my brain is just not functioning very well right now. Like it's just it's it's not even with my meds, my attention's not great. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think it might be some of these stomach issues. Maybe my, my medication's not absorbing well or something like that. But I don't care. I sit there <laughs> because this is what I've received right now from Christ. And I give it to him. So, yeah, my thoughts are distracted. I'm looking around my room. I'm looking at books sometimes. But I'm constantly offering that to Jesus because this is what I've received right now, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's what it means to be a saint, I think, is not saying, I not I need to not be distracted. Shut up with that stuff. Yeah. You're an embodied person. You're a fallen human being. You're going to be distracted in prayer. Stop worrying about that. Rather, in your distraction, offer yourself up to Christ and offer that with him. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, to really, really simplify this. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yes, because it's I... Yeah. In, um, it's once you realize that you can't be holy, that you become holy. Exactly. It's once you realize that um, whatever you have this idea of, once that dies, once the spiritual life comes not about achieving this or that mansion, uh, which all that language and all that, that's helpful stuff. That's good stuff, but we just internalize it the wrong way. But it's not about this or that mansion. It's not about this or that level of spirituality. It's not about any of that because we're always going to be infinitely far from that perfection. Embracing that in humility, one, is incredibly freeing. And that fear of them becoming quiet in this quietism sort of thing, that goes away as well because Mm -hmm. you're doing this out of love and realizing Mm -hmm. that you're infinitely far from God and that he still reaches down to you, the only response then is to keep going forward and to keep trying to live out the counsels because you love God. It purifies what we're trying to do in the spiritual life. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I guess, you know, it was the comforting thing for me was that I am existentially unable to fulfill my call to the priesthood. Yeah. Because it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's not Christ. It's not your work. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, okay. That's why I feel like, oh, that makes sense. And I think that's something yeah. very similar just to uh, the baptismal call as well. And, and just to maybe add with that a little bit is like, because listen, we always place our own expectations of how we think we are to live our priesthood or how we are to be parents or single persons or whatever, wherever we're at in our vocational state right now. We all have expectations of ourselves and, and, and it's not wrong to have expectations, right? Sure. Like, but it's about receiving the expectation mm-hmm. and putting that expectation under the intense gaze of love of Jesus to see if it's his expectation of you. Yeah. Oh, I have to do these zillion things. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know if I shared it on the podcast before, but like, I shared enough, I think I can say this out loud now. But um, I remember, I think it was last year when I was actually at in, in uh, Boston with the daughters. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just kind of praying around the Paris stuff and everything and what I need to do and, and how, but like, you know, we don't give as much in Canada as Americans do. So I don't have a ton of, I don't, I really have one salaried staff person and a couple contract people for some, that's about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, and you feel like you have to penny pinch sometimes you have to like scrimp and save on different things about the parish. I was praying with that with Jesus. And he goes, why are you worrying about that? I'm like, well, cause you know, to be, I have to be a good steward. He goes, yeah, you have to be a good steward, but like 
you also publish your numbers, you, you, you communicate about what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera. What's the worst thing? Like, so why are you worrying? Just spend what's reasonable. Don't go like crazy. Don't go spend like a million dollars and, you know, go bankrupt right away. But mm -hmm. do what's needed for the year in a reasonable fashion. I said, and he goes, what's the worst that could happen? I'm like, well, we might have to close the parish in five to 10 years because we'd run out of money. He goes, yeah, what's the problem with that? And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Why? And, and what it does is it, so I put that expectation of what I think I need to be doing as a good steward, as a good, as, as exercising my role of governance as a pastor. I, I put it under his light and he shot, he shot on that and, and challenged it and said, mm -hmm. Well, you're right. You want to be, it's good that you want to be a good steward. And I want you to be one, but I want you to be one this way, yeah. not the way you thought you had to. That's so freeing. It's why it's like, like I've become more and more accepting of my own weaknesses as a priest, as a Christian, just in general, even as a Christian and say, this is what I can do right now. And I can't do anymore. And that's okay because yeah. it's not my work in the end. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing when it is amazing what happens because that's when providence actually starts to take action. Mm-hmm. Good. I think that's good enough for a, for a show. So yeah, uh, nice. thanks for listening. Good Please stuff. leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me reading my latest edition of Communio before Father Harrison ever gets it. You can find me jealously yearning for that edition to arrive. Um, or you can also find me maybe in Scotland. I know a couple people who reached out uh, about, hey, can I meet up with you? I'm just so behind on my emails. And I don't really like, I know the itinerary, but I don't know the timing of things. So if I, I may reach out, if I don't reach out, it's not, I'm not, it's just, I, again, I can only do so much. Um, but I don't actually know what, what the timing of things is. So I don't know how I could possibly arrange for things per se, because we have different stuff every day. But when I get there and I can make something work because we spend we end off in Edinburgh too, I, I'll get I'll get hold of you. And uh, but uh, you can also find me on Twitter at frharrison. <laughs> Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail .com. Do you have a theological emergency? Please call 412-912-7995. 412-912-7995. Peace. God bless.